Wonderful. We're going to continue in our sermon series going through 1 Peter uh, this morning. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're reading from verse 13 down to verse 25. Uh, and and I, w- I think I would say over the next number of verses and wee bit of 1 Peter that uh, they get a wee bit more challenging probably for us. This morning we're looking at um, submission to um, authority. Um, we're going to be talking about suffering. Um, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. We're going to be looking at what First Peter says about wives and husbands. So be praying for me as I prepare that one. Uh, and then again, we're looking at suffering after that for righteousness, next, uh, righteousness sake. Um, so there is, there, it, there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say heavy because that makes it sound bad, but there's a lot of challenging stuff for us to be working through in First Peter. And that's why I love going through books of the Bible because actually you can't really hide from the difficult and challenging things. It'd be easy just to, you know, pick verses here and there and just, you know, speak about the kind of nice, uplifting stuff. But actually, these are important issues because these are things that are real. There's reality in them. Um, so let's be, be praying as we go through First Peter. And if there's anything that I say over the next number of weeks, but, but ever, that you disagree with, that you feel challenged about, or you're not sure about, come, come and speak to me. Um, I'd, I'd love to uh, hear what you have to say um, and uh, as we gather in God's word together, which is, as we know, the authority we look to build our lives upon. So let's uh, listen to God's word from 1 Peter chapter 2, reading from verse 13 down to verse 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called, Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. This whole section and um, the verses we read and and in the beginning of chapter 3 as well, a lot of it is centered around um, kind of one main word that... uh, I would say our culture and society detests, struggles with, um, doesn't like, 
Uh, and, but it's a really important word and, and actually practice that we need to um, do as, as Christians and as followers of Jesus. And that's the word submit or to be subject. That, that's when it talks about being subject, it means submitting. And we'll see that as well in, in chapter 3 um, when Peter talks about likewise wives be subject to your own husbands. But we'll talk about that in a few weeks' time. I don't want to jump, jump ahead. Um, so, but here he's talking about being subject to every human institution. He then goes on and he speaks about um, with uh, servants, about being subject to your masters, not just the good ones, but the bad ones as well. And, and actually, you can see what I mean by this whole, this whole part of Peter's discourse is kind of built around this word about being um, subjected or, or submitting. And like I said, it's very countercultural. It's something that society doesn't like. We, in, particularly in the West, I would say we've adopted a... Uh, kind of philosophy of selfish endeavor. It's about us. It's about us getting what we want and, and you know, not stopping at anything until we are, are happy in and off ourselves. It doesn't matter who you have to step on or climb over or hurt. Um, it doesn't matter what you have to do to get there. As long as you get to where you want to go, that's good for you. You do you. Do whatever makes you happy. But actually, what the Bible is saying to us this morning is that as Christians, we need to submit. It's very different to the way the world thinks. If you can remember back to the very beginning of our time in 1 Peter, where we looked at the kind of the, the, the origin, the outworking, and the purpose of our election. The origin is in the, the foreknowledge of the Father. Its outworking is through the, the activity of the Holy Spirit, and its purpose is for obedience unto Christ. And when we talk about being obedient unto Christ, that means we submit ourselves to him. Friends, many people are okay with asking Jesus to be their savior. We're okay with saying, we've got stuff wrong, Jesus forgive me. But actually, the Bible tells us that Jesus shouldn't just be our savior, he should also be our Lord. And that means we bend the knee to Jesus, that actually we submit ourselves to him, to his will, to his ways, to his word, to his plan. And that's very different than just saying, Jesus, forgive me for all the bad stuff I've done. Because actually when we say, Lord, forgive us, actually what we're doing and we should do is we bend the knee and say, take the throne of my heart. I want you to reign supreme in my life. I will live how you tell me to live. I'm not going to do what the selfish, sinful nature of Norman Afrin wants to do anymore. I want to become more like Jesus and live, God, how you want me to be in the image of your son. So actually what we're doing is we're forsaking ourselves and we're following Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me. It's a turning away from everything that once was and casting our eyes upon the Lord. So this whole bit is built upon being a people who submit. And already there, be, there might be kind of, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. That's a very negative word. That sounds very, you know, patriarchal and all these different things. And, oh, do you know, I'm, I'm quite woke. And, you know, what about this? Where we wanted to in, in, include everyone and let everyone be who they want to be. But actually the Bible says submit. Submit to God. Submit for his sake. Submit to his word. That's the purpose of our election. is for obedience unto Christ. And friends, we've spoken about it loads over the last number of weeks. There is nothing more beautiful in this life 
than following the word of God. We've talked about the psalmist where he says, Lord, your word, it's a delight unto my soul. And you can only say that if you know Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the Lord as your shepherd, then actually this whole thing about submitting or being subjected to God for, and for the Lord's sake, it doesn't ring true in our life. But those of us who are born again, followers of Jesus, this should be a delight to follow God and what he says in our life. Now, here's something that will maybe set the cat amongst the pigeons, if that's the right analogy. You know, Peter here doesn't just say, you know, submit to God. He's saying submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And he's now speaking about the kind of government structures that we have in society. So if we are followers of Jesus, Peter's telling us that we should be submitting to government. Oh, well, maybe I'll do it next time the election happens because there's no way I'm submitting to that party. Whoever that party is, is maybe what you are saying. And actually, this is really difficult. Somewhere like the UK, which is so politically divided, and if anything, I would say it's getting worse. We're seeing mudslinging. We're seeing name-calling. We're seeing politicians that are, are, are lying and, and, and just seem to lack any sort of moral compass. And, and here we have, and then you add into our own wee context and our, our own wee city with the whole kind of politics stuff. You add in, you know, the two ingredients of football and religion, and you have this whole mess. And... But here Peter is saying, forget all that. As a follower of Jesus, your duty is to submit to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Regardless of what football team you support on a Saturday. Regardless of what street you were born on. Regardless of your political alliance and allegiance. You submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Can you pray blessing over the political leaders of our nation because you should you should it's the calling that god places for us as his people to be praying for those who are in leadership if god is in control and peter has shown us that he is we believe god is sovereign whoever is in office whoever is in power they're not there by mistake. It doesn't come as a surprise to God who wins the elections. Now God permitting them to be there is not the same as God condoning what they are doing. And that's a really important distinction we need to make. And actually, we preach the whole counsel of God's word and scripture interprets scripture. And just as we're told to submit to every human institution, we're also told to challenge injustice whenever we see it. So submitting to every human institution for the Lord's sake is not just kind of closing our eyes and being unaware of the wrongdoings and things that are going on around us. We're still called to challenge injustice. God is still wanting to be the protector of the widows and wants to help and be there for orphans and to feed the hungry. These are important issues, absolutely. And by telling us that we need to submit to those who are in leadership above us, that is not saying that we sin if they tell us to do so. A relevant, a relevant example would be the kind of um, sex topic that we're seeing being um, forced and pushed through in many political parties nowadays. 
that we would say are contrary to Scripture. They, they Scripture very strongly disagrees with many practices that are being promoted these days. And Peter, by us, him telling us to submit to every human institution, he's not saying, okay, now that the government said that, you just ignore that part of God's word. Because actually, he shows us who our highest allegiance is to through the, theolo the theological grounding of what his instruction is here, is that we're to submit to every human institution, but it's for the Lord's sake. God is still the highest and most important person in our life. Ultimately, he is the one we bend our knee before. That's why we have that opening caveat about it's for the Lord's sake. Peter says, be subject, not for the Tories' sake, not for labor's sake, not for SMP's sake, but for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Friends, we are to live as followers of Jesus as a blessing to everyone who we come in contact with. Two. I like, and I think Daniel in the Old Testament is just the, the perfect example of what Peter is describing and speaking about here. Daniel, if you don't know, was one of God's people, and they're taken from um, the promised land and taken into exile in Babylonian. And during that time, there was a king called King Nebuchadnezzar, and he instructs for some of the people they'd taken from uh, Israel. Um, and they're now living as exiles in Babylonia. He instructs that he wants a select few of them to be chosen to be educated in the ways of the Babylonians. And what we have is that Daniel is one of the people who is selected. And we just see this graciousness that surrounds Daniel and how he lives his life. He is someone who rises up through the ranks of the people of Babylonian. We see that he's listened to, that he gets to speak to power, um, and, and, and really he submits to the governing structure of his day. But as well as that, he still holds fast to who God says that he should be. So when they're going through all their education stuff, the king provides this lovely banquet of food for the people to eat, and Daniel says, I can't eat that. I'm not going to defile myself. When prayer becomes illegal in Babylonian, in Babylon, sorry, Daniel says, I'm continuing to pray. And he continues to pray. And, and what happens is he actually, he's put in the lion's den because of his commitment, which is to God. But he lives this gracious life that we just see this beautiful outworking of God's plan for Daniel's life as he submits himself to the human institution that he's under. But whilst he's holding fast to who God says that he should be. And what happens is Daniel rises up with favor from the people of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. But ultimately he finds favor in God's sight. And he's promoted. It's just wonderful. But the important principle is he did it without sinning. He didn't eat the food. He continued to pray. He continued to be holy. Because ultimately, friends... That is still the calling that we have upon our lives. So how do we, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, for the Lord's sake, submit to every human institution. Be a blessing to those who are over us in power, whether we think we sh they should be there or not.
Friends, I know it's easier said than done, but that's a calling that God places on our lives. And maybe it begins with us by praying blessing over those we maybe very strongly disagree with politically. That God would bless them. That God would work in their life. That God would use them for the advancement of his kingdom. And Peter gives a couple of examples here where he speaks about uh, the Roman emperor and the, the governors that would be sent by the emperor. Uh, and most theologians would say that the emperor at this time when Peter was write, writing was probably Nero. And what amazes me is, and, and friends, this is bigger than just the new city council schedule for the bin pickup that I don't like. That's, it's bigger than this. Because Peter actually, he ultimately, he, he was killed under the persecution that Nero, the, the, the Roman governor, the Roman emperor was putting upon the Christian church. That's to the extent that Peter is saying that we need, to, we need to submit to these guys. We need to be a blessing to them. We need to show them. And this is what he goes on to say. Live as people who are free. And he says in verse 14, for, uh, 15, sorry, for this is the will of God. This is why we do this. That by being good, this is why we do this, friends. This is why we submit to every human institution. This is why God has asked us to do this, that by being good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, the foolish people that he's speaking about are not those who, and maybe you're thinking, oh, I can think of some politicians that are pretty, pretty foolish people. He's not speaking about their intellectual capability here. He's referring to Proverbs where it says, the fool in his heart says there is no God. This is, he's saying that when you act like this, when you live as a blessing under those who might be difficult for you as followers of Jesus by your actions and how you live, that actually those who are foolish, those who say there is no God, that they might be put to silence, that they might see there is another way. This is the outworking of being a royal priesthood, of being a holy nation. That as we live in the spheres and the context and the cultures and the society that we're found, that we need to be different. We need to be light in the darkness. We need to be salt for the kingdom. And as we live as a people who love the Lord, and he goes on and he speaks about in verse, um, verse 17, about honoring everyone, about treating everyone we meet with respect and dignity. As we do that, from our actions, friends, people will say, Maybe there's a different way. They'll be put to silence. Those who live without God, friends, will learn from you as you live for God. Let me say that again. Those who live without God will learn from you as you live for God. So in your workplace, in the bowling club, in the golf club, in the tennis club, in whatever place you find yourself, be a light unto the nations. Show people through how you live, through your demeanor, through your actions, through your tone, through the words you use, that you are different for the Lord's sake. And that applies to every human institution that we find ourselves under, whether they're doing evil or whether they're doing good. But like I said, that doesn't mean 
that God is happy with every decision that is made by people who are in power. And as God's people, we're still called to challenge injustice whenever we see it. And then in verse 16, he says, live as people who are free. And this is, this is really important. And this is where the world, they, they, don't, they can't grasp this. Because when we talk about submitting or being subjected, straight away we think of, you know, oppressive, um, oppressive forces that are weighing us down. But actually, to the contrary, friends, we do this because we are free. The word that um, live in the English here in verse 16, um, the word live is, is not actually there in the original language. There's no, there's no verb in the, in the Greek here. And we put it in English because it helps with the flow of it. But the, the word live, if I was to replace it personally, I, 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 would, um, I would replace it with the word submit. Because it's, it's flowing on from that being subjected or, 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 or submitting. Submit as free people. Because ultimately, friends, as followers of Jesus, my chains are gone. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Because of the blood of Jesus, I am I'm free. I, I'm free from sin. I'm free from the wages of death. I'm free from the darkness. I'm free from death. I'm free from the grave. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, friends, there's freedom. So this isn't speaking about, you know, replacing one bondage with another. We do this as free people. People and Christians and followers of Jesus who've been freed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is crucial because we've been set free by the blood of Jesus. So as Christians, we're told to submit. And this is, as I said, as the world would see this as an oppressive um, action. But friends, true freedom is obedience to God. That's what true freedom looks like. Being able to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what we've been freed from. We've been freed from the wretchedness of sin, where all I could do was wrong and choose darkness and evil and death. But actually, because of the blood of Jesus and the life that he gives us, we are now free and we're alive in Jesus, that we can choose to follow him. But it's all because of his shed blood. And like I said, it's the purpose of our election is obedience unto Christ. And any, like I said, who know Jesus know that it is a delight to live as he calls us to do so. And Peter shows us how we do this in four simple ways. Honor everyone, treating everyone with respect. Verse 17, love the brotherhood. And this is the family theme that we've seen present, that we're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to honor the emperor. And again, Peter's reminding them about how their attitude to, should be towards those who are above them in, in power. But we see this difference here where he speaks about honor people and honor the emperor, but he talks about fearing God. See the difference there? Because like I said, God is still first and foremost in our life. This isn't replacing God with a political party. This is honoring God and following him and doing as he has commanded us to do so. Then Peter's emphasis changes a wee bit in verses 18 to 20 where he's 
been speaking about the political sphere and now he speaks to those that might be found as servants and who have masters. The word servants here is sometimes translated as slaves and, and this is where, and very wrongly, where people have tried to justify biblically the position of slavery. That, that blows my mind that's ever even happened, but it would be these kind of places where they would have tried to justify um, that practice. This word servants, is, like I said, is sometimes used as slaves, but when we hear slaves, it's a very loaded word for us now that we have so much history behind us. We see awful, awful stories and we read awful, awful um, actions that have taken place. Um, just the darkest of human sin that we've seen through slave trade and things like that. But the word, and, and when we hear slaves, we read all of that context into this word that Peter is using. But Peter's writing before all of what has happened, happens. And this word, servants or slaves, that he uses in his um, first century context would be very different to how we would understand what slavery is. Slaves in, in, uh, in Peter's context, they would have been skilled laborers, uh, doctors, musicians, teachers, um, but they were people who worked for a house. They worked within a home. Um, my simple mind goes back to kind of Downton Abbey type thing. Um, but it's... <laughs> The word slaves is a wee bit stronger than our word servants, um, but it's weaker than what we would envisage as slavery. And we don't really have an English word that just uh, does justice to what Peter is trying to put across here. But although they would have been living in the home, they would have been paid, they could eventually buy their freedom it was still not a nice thing to be a servant or slave in Peter's day. And, and often masters did overstep the mark, and Peter alludes to that, where they would, um, they would beat um, their, their servants or their slaves. Uh, they were seen as, um, as less. Uh, they didn't have social standing, and it wasn't a good place. Now, when Peter is telling the servants, or like I said, sometimes it's translated as slaves here, to be subject or to submit to their masters, regardless of the situation they find themselves, whether their masters good or evil. Peter is not condoning slavery. He is not saying that slavery is a good thing. But rather, what he is doing is he's writing to a group of Christians who find themselves in a difficult context and he is teaching them about how to live in light of what they're going through. So when he's saying submit to your masters, he's not saying that, you know, slavery has been initiated by God. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying slavery is where you find yourselves. This is how you live as a follower of Jesus through this difficult time. Because it's hard. And he speaks about suffering. And that's just about what we're going to go on to. He's telling them how to live as Christians in a non-Christian society. In the midst of the hardship, the oppression, the mistreatment, they are to know that God is still with them. And this is where we kind of begin to draw our thoughts to a close this morning. Because what we see here is that Peter grounds their suffering. And actually he encourages them by speaking about their salvation. 
that even this hardship, this horrible thing you're going through, do not forget that God still has you in the palm of his hand. And we see that where he speaks about in verse 21, where he speaks about them being called. God has a plan. He's not abandoned you. Even though you've been mistreated by your masters, even though you've been beaten, maybe even sexually abused, that God has not abandoned you. He is still with you. He is holding you in the palm of his hands. As a boy, I grew up with a dad who was an alcoholic and um, I, mean, I, would, I, I cried lots and lots wondering, God, why are you doing this to me? A wee boy, why am I going through all this? What amazes me now is fast forwarding 15, 20 years is that I didn't know one day I'd be sitting in Drum Chapel doing Bible studies with addicts in council-run rehab centers. You know, I didn't, I didn't see what God could use, the, the evil I was going through, that he could still use it for good. Isn't that amazing? That the hardship and sufferings we go through, that there is nothing that is lost in the economy of God. That God is the one who restores the years the locusts has stolen. So friends, what you're going through, entrust it to God. He has you. He's holding you. And we don't see the big picture. I didn't know I'd be leading a, a, a recovering, an alcoholic at that point to, to Christ. I didn't know that that's what God would use the hardships I was going through. Now, God doesn't condone alcoholism. He's not saying that alcoholism is good. But he could use the evil and the hardships that I went through for good in his kingdom. And the promise God gives you. Friends, even as the Apostle Paul says, he talks about being able to rejoice in our sufferings. Maybe right now you go, Norman, I can't. I can't rejoice in my sufferings. God's word gives you a promise this morning. That weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And I love this word that we see here example because that's who Peter points to he points to Christ that we have a high priest who suffered in every way that we do and Christ is the example that we are and the model we're to build our lives upon that friends we don't and that's what we see Peter speak about here in verse 23 that when Christ was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but what did he do? He entrusted himself into God's care. He continued to say, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then we're going to close with verse 25. For you were like straying sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. How quick we forget about the suffering of Jesus. That by his wounds we are healed. That we are saved by Christ. And we suffer for Christ in this life. But we suffer like Christ as well. The Lord is my shepherd we sang. Friend the shepherd is the one who watches over your souls. So I want to finish by saying no matter what you're going through in this very moment. You might feel it is the darkest moment in your life. 
and you do not know how you can move forward. You have a shepherd who is the overseer of your soul and he will not let you go. That he can restore the years the locusts have stolen. And because of his power, he can use what the enemy has meant for evil. And he can use it for good. So Sandy Hills, even in the midst of her suffering, let us continue to entrust ourselves just like Jesus did. He is our example. Entrust ourselves into the perfect and calm hands of God, knowing he holds us. And knowing that in Jesus we have the shepherd who is the overseer of our souls. Just invite Ian to come back up to the organ. We're going to finish this morning by singing a final hymn. And in it there's a verse, though Satan may buffet, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul, that soul that he watches over as the bishop of our souls. Amen.